0: Well, good morning. morning. Turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 34. Psalm 34. Psalm 34, and we're going to begin in verse 1. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him, and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is a man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. I want you to think back to a time in your life. When you knew for certain that you should have died. A situation where you knew it was absolutely hopeless for you, and yet the Lord delivered you. This could be a car accident. This could be a natural disaster that you were in, such as an earthquake or a tornado. It could be a fire at your house that you were in, or in a building. It could be a near-drowning experience that you had. Maybe you're held up at gunpoint. It could be a serious health complications where the doctors told you you have slim to no chance of making it. Or maybe as your mother was giving birth to you, she was told that you would have a short life. Maybe you are told that you have widespread cancer, and yet you didn't die from that cancer. Or if none of these things have happened to you, has he delivered you from a life of sin and an eternity in hell. If you think back to the times when you should have died, and how the Lord spared you, and how many of us, and almost all of us, should not be here this morning, it makes us want to praise the Lord with our lips and with our lives. We have have so much reason to worship the Lord with our lips and with our lives. And this passage that we looked at this morning will do just that. But before we get into the verse-by-verse, I want to recap on the life of King David. See, King David had many life-threatening experiences. At a young age, he fought a bear, and he won. Also at a young age, he fought a lion, and again, he won. And also, when he was quite young as well, he fought Goliath, and with the very first smooth stone that he had... He killed Goliath and won. And as David was playing for Saul the harp, he was very vulnerable at that time. No way to really defend himself. And Saul, a military man, skilled in accuracy, so much experience under his belt, he throws a spear at David. And David escaped not just once, but twice. The Lord delivered him. And all throughout David's life, if you look at the countless battles that he was in against various enemies on all sides the Lord delivered him out of them all and now we see David reflecting on a time when he was fleeing from Saul only to end up in the presence of his enemy Achish the king of Gath and the king of Gath had it in his mind to kill David and all he would have to do is say the words and David would have been dead but he doesn't and David and David is delivered from death. And now David, years later, reflects on this time, on the Lord's deliverance, and praises him for it. It says in the first ten verses of the psalm that David is praising the Lord for the deliverance during this fearful time in his life when he knew he should have died, and yet the Lord preserved him. So in these first ten verses, he praises the Lord for what he's done. He starts off in verse one by saying, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David starts off this psalm with this thought that I'm going to bless the Lord. It's almost as if David's saying, I don't know about the rest of you, but I should not be here. I should be dead. I thought my life was over, so I resolve to bless the Lord. And how often does David saying he's going to do this? He says, at all times. He wants the Lord to be blessed from sunrise to sunset in every situation, in every circumstance, at all times. There is not a time when the Lord should not be blessed. And in the second half of the first one, he says, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. David was delivered from death, and he wants the whole world to hear about it. In light of what God did for him, David's lips will always be filled with praise to God. He isn't just thankful in his heart for what he's done, but he wants everyone around him to know that God is to be praised for this deliverance. Now, think back to your own near death experience. Think back to how you just wanted to tell everyone around you that you should have been dead, you shouldn't have been there, but the Lord saved you. Praise the Lord. And we don't just praise Him once and forget about it, our lips should overflow with praise. It says, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. And in verse 2 he goes on to say, my soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. And oftentimes when we hear of boasting, we think of it as a wrong thing. And boasting of oneself is wrong. So why are we boasting? Well, We're not boasting of ourselves or how we've done anything to deliver ourselves from our situations, but our boast is in the Lord and what He's done. So it goes on in the second half of that second verse to say, The humble shall hear of it and be glad. You know, no one wants to hear of us boasting of ourselves, but boasting in the Lord is a completely different thing. The humble will hear of it and be glad. Proud people only want to boast of themselves and their accomplishments and what they've done. But lowly people have nothing to boast in except the Lord. So when the lowly hear others singing their tune, they find encouragement, they find happiness, and they're glad that we're boasting in the Lord and His goodness towards us. Boasting in the Lord shows ultimate humility. It shows that I give no credit to myself for my deliverance, but only to the Lord verse 3, David says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt His name together. David calls us all together and says, Join in the choir with me and magnify the Lord. Let us all collectively worship His name. Let us place His name in the highest place and position because He alone is worthy to be exalted. And when we realize our lowly position and just how great our God is, Only then is true worship shown towards our Lord. David says in verse 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. My near-death experience happened about four years ago. I was in the very back of a parking lot, grocery store, and it was around midnight, and there wasn't a single person in sight. Luke was with me, and we were talking outside of our cars, and this part of the parking lot It was very dark, and from the distance we saw men walking down the street, and we didn't think much of them, and then out of nowhere both of them came up to us and pulled out guns and said to us, give me your money and your phones. And I jumped back in disbelief, and the whole world seemed to stop at the moment for me. What was probably only a 30-second ordeal felt like five minutes, and my ears were ringing, my heart was pounding. And I was just like, wow, is this really happening? And he said again, give me your money and your phones. So I I pulled out my money that I had, and I gave him my phone, and I only had about $4 on me. And he looked at me and and almost disgusted at me. He says, where's the rest of it? You have more. Give me the rest of it or I'll shoot you. And and I'm like, I don't have any more. Just take what I have. I don't have anything else. And in this moment, I just had all these fears in my mind. What's going to happen to me? Is my life going to be over? Are they really about to shoot me? And if I get shot, will I have anyone to even hear my cry now that I don't have a phone? And if they do shoot me, will I bleed out or will I even get a chance to make it to the hospital? And I had all these fears and questions this moment. And all I could do at that time was just, I remember just saying to the Lord, Lord, protect my life. Save me from these men. I don't want my life to end today. And after taunting us and waving their guns in our faces a few more times, they ultimately ran off into the night. But the Lord had delivered me from that situation where I felt utterly helpless, where I felt as though I should have been dead. At this point in my life, I'm on borrowed time. And it's the same was true with King David. David was about to die. He was in the presence of the king of his enemies. The king surely could have slain him, and David would have been dead. But we read that David sought the Lord. David sought the Lord in prayer by looking to him for deliverance when he felt utterly hopeless and fearful. And the amazing thing is that we have a God who hears our prayers. The Lord delivered David from all his fears. Not just some of them, but all his fears. In my situation, like I was saying, I had so many fears as to what was going to happen, whether my life would be over. And yet, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from my fears. In light of David's deliverance, as well as my own, I joyfully repeat the words of the psalmist as he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And David moves on in verse 5 to say, They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. Those who turn their faces to the Lord are radiant. Their spirits are lifted. Anyone who trusts in God has no need to be ashamed. Because their confidence is in the Lord. Verse 6 says, This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. David here is referring to himself as a poor man. He had nobody else to help him, no one to be with him. He felt alone in many ways, and as though all were against him. And yet, David cried out to God in prayer. And God not only heard him, but saved him out of all his troubles. Verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. This verse borrows an illustration from a military life. In war, the troops would set up tents and huts, uh, temporary accommodations for the night. And they would stay there for the day, and then the next morning they'd move on to the next position. But this verse says that the angel of the Lord, or Jesus Christ himself, encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. It's like he makes a hedge around all those who fear him. We know that the word fear doesn't mean to be afraid or scared, but it means to have reverence and respect for God. For those who fear God, Jesus Christ protects And he encamps all around them and delivers them. In 2 Kings 6, if you remember, there's a story of when the king of Syria was plotting to go to war against the king of Israel. And he was making these plans in the secrecy of his bedroom. And every time he would make plans, it always seemed that the king of Israel would find out and the plans would be thwarted. And he just was baffled by this. And he's scratching his head saying, how is it possible that every time I make these plans... He always finds out. And and the king of Syria turns to these men. He says, are you guys against me? Are you guys telling the king of Israel about these plans? And they say, no. Elijah the prophet's been given this knowledge by God. And Elijah then is then told the king of Israel about your plans. And he says, where is Elijah that I may go capture him and bring him back to me? And they tell him, well, he's in the nearby city. He says, well, go get him by night. Go get him right now. So they go and get the chariots and the horses and the fire and they come together and they surround the area where Elijah is. And in the morning, Elijah's servant is fearful and he says, Master, what shall we do? He's fearful. He's like, there's so many men around us. How is it possible that we could even escape from this? But Elijah says, do not fear for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. In answer to the prophet's prayer, the servant was given this miraculous ability to see all the protective hosts and angels sent by God to guard his people. And from every side, you are protected by the Lord. He encamps all around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamped around Elijah and his servant and delivered them from all their troubles. And In the same manner, to those who fear God, the angel of the Lord also encamps around them and delivers them. Verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good, Blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. Costco is an amazing place. Uh, If you ever get a chance to go to their bakery or dessert section, they have this all-American chocolate cake. And uh, this cake is fantastic. It's it's moist. It's rich in chocolatey goodness. Uh, The icing on it is the perfect amount. And it has chocolate shavings on the side that give it its perfect texture. And, you know, you may be seeing this and you may envision in your mind a plate right in front of you and your mouth may water at the sight of it, but you'll never truly know that that cake is good until you've tasted and seen that it is good. And, And the same is true with the Lord. You know, you can have a lot of head knowledge about the Lord. You can read cover to cover about the stories and the wonderful things that he's done. You can read about his goodness. You can read about all the wonderful and miraculous things that he's done. And yet you'll never truly know that the Lord is good until you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you might be wondering, well, David, I understand how we can taste and see that the chocolate cake is good, but how do we taste and see that the Lord is good? Well, faith is our soul's way of trusting, of tasting. Faith is our soul's way of tasting, which is why David says, blessed is the man who puts his trust in him. When we place our faith in the Lord, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. And in verse 9, David moves on to say, Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger. But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. David calls us again to fear the Lord because the Lord... Promises that no want comes to those who fear him. Notice he doesn't promise a luxurious life with all the latest gadgets, the biggest home, abundance of money. He doesn't promise anything of that nature. He states that there will be no want. We won't lack any good thing. The Lord will provide the necessities to sustain us. Think of uh, young lions. Young lions are perhaps the most feared animal. All around, they're on the top of the food chain. They're skilled in hunting. They're known as the king of the jungle, and yet they go hungry. They have extreme power and speed to catch their prey, and yet they lack and suffer hunger. But the Lord says that those who seek him shall not lack any good thing. He will supply your needs, and you will not lack any good thing. So in this first ten verses, David has praised the Lord with his lips. And now in this next section that we move to, he transitions to teaching us how to praise the Lord with our lives. And David begins the section in verse 11 by saying, Come you children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? There's a number of videos out there that talk about how to be successful in life, how to live longer, how to make the most of your time here on earth, how to have a fulfilled life. And nearly all of them have it wrong. And all of them make you pay to find out the answer. But we find the answer here. David is telling us in verse 11 and 12, I'm going to tell you for free. You don't need to pay me 19.99 to watch video tutorials every month on how to do this. I long to impart this to you. And at this time in David's life, he's likely an older man who just is telling to all the generations younger than him, come to me, generations younger than me. Come to me, children. Listen to me. I want to teach you to fear the Lord, to have respect and reverence towards him. If you want to know how to live a long life, if you want to see good in life, if you want to prolong your life, listen to what I'm about to tell you and follow it. Cling to these words in the coming year and for the remainder of your life because these are words to live by. So David begins his instructions in verse 13 by saying, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. As we learn in the psalm, it it tells us to keep our tongue from speaking evil. Refrain from speaking deceit. Don't have a lying tongue. The psalm then goes on to say that depart from evil and do good. Despite our natural tendencies to want to fight back and get even, depart from it. Instead, do good. Show them kindness in return. Anyone can do evil for evil, but we're called to replace evil for doing good. Is there anyone in your life who you're at odds with? Is there anyone who you could have a better relationship with if you, may, if you chose to make that effort? David tells us to seek peace and pursue it. Intend on a mission to be at peace with all mankind. Chase it down. Make it your pursuit to find peace. Follow after peace at all costs. Have it in your mind to be peaceful rather than contentious. Roman says, "If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men." And although this psalm was originally written to the Jewish people, the Lord makes it clear that it's applicable to us today. In response, on how to re- how we're to respond to those who persecute us as believers, because it says in 1 Peter three that we are to respond to persecution by not returning evil for evil for reviling for reviling but on the contrary blessing knowing that you were called to this that you may inherit a blessing so you were called to this way of living that you may inherit a blessing and blessings come to those who respond in a way that's different than the world we're called to live a life that's different and it goes on to say And who is he who will harm you if you become a follower of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify, or set apart, the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason that is in you, with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter then reminds us that Christ went before us, and he suffered and was afflicted by unjust men. Men who tortured him, who mocked him, who spit upon him, who crucified him. He didn't repay evil for evil. He suffered for the sins of those who were unjust to Him. That He might bring us to God and make us alive by the Spirit. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So David's words for this year says, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Follow these ways, and the Lord says that you will live a long life. David's now finished his instructions on how to praise the Lord with our lives, which will result in a long life. And now he moves on to this final section in which he talks about the Lord's six promises to those who live righteously. And the first promise that he says in verse 15 is that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The first thing we read is that the Lord's eyes are on the righteous. He's looking down on them with approval. It's as if they're the only ones in the entire earth. His ears are open to their cry. The Lord's ears, you know that they're, they're open 24 7, 365, to hear the prayers of the righteous. He doesn't close his ears off to us. He doesn't get tired of hearing our prayers. The Lord's ears are open to our cry. Notice what verse 16 says The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Do you remember the story of Elijah? And he was at a time when he was the only one serving the Lord amongst 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah challenged them to show who worships the true God. They were to place a bull on wood, and they were to pray to God to consume the fire, to consume and with fire to consume the sacrifice. And the Baal worshippers went first, and they cried out to their God and said, "O Baal, hear our prayers." Oh, Baal, hear our cries. And nothing happened. And Elijah said, maybe they're, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's too busy for you. Maybe you need to cry louder. So they cry louder, Oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. And they cut their wrists as it would have been customary for them to do, and they dance around the altar, and nothing. Then it's Elijah's turn, and Elijah, he builds his altar and puts the bull on top of it, and he digs a trench around it, and he tells the men, fill these four water pots over here. Fill them with water. Throw them on the, throw them on the altar. So they throw four water pots on there. He says, do it again. So they do it again. It says, do it a third time. So they do it a third time, and now the altar's drenched, and the trench is completely filled with water. Then Elijah prayed to the Lord. And we read in 1 Kings, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah said, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon, and they executed them there. Elijah wanted to show that the Lord, he is God. The prophets of Baal worshipped the false god. Baal was their god. And Baal was a carved idol. And they carved ears on Baal, but Baal couldn't hear. And they carved eyes on Baal, but Baal could not hear. And he couldn't deliver his worshippers out of their afflictions, much less carry himself from destination to destination. Our Lord is the true and living God who sees us, who hears us, and the Lord also delivers us when we call upon his name. The prophets of Baal were wicked and idolatrous men. When they saw that their God was useless and couldn't hear their cries, they acknowledged that the Lord, he is God. Soon after they were slain and they were cut off from the remembrance of this earth. The Baal worshippers refused to believe that the Lord is the true God. Ultimately, they did come to this realization, but it was too late for them. It says in Philippians 2, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. For those of you who have not believed on Jesus Christ as your Savior, trust in Him today. He's waiting for you to turn to Him. If you cry out, He will hear you. And He will deliver you from your sin. And if you don't voluntarily acknowledge Him in this life, you will bow the knee at a point in time when it's too late to make a change of mind, to trust in Him, at a point where there's no other option than to send unbelievers to hell for their conscious decision to reject Him as the true God. May you choose today to trust the true God who sees, who hears, and will deliver you if you call upon His name for salvation. The second promise that we see is that the Lord delivers the righteous out of their trouble. Verse 17 tells us that the righteous cry out and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. It's one thing to serve a God who is able to hear His prayers, hear the prayers of the people who cry out, but it's another to have a God who then responds by delivering them out of their troubles. If you think back to the children of Israel... They were in bondage. They were forced to complete grueling labor. And if the Egyptians didn't think that they were working hard enough, they would give them twice the labor the next day. And they made their, their suffering, it was just awful, the amount of bondage they were in. And after 400 years of this slavery, they cry out to the Lord for deliverance. And it tells us in Exodus, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died? Then the children of Israel groaned because of their bondage. And they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And the Lord, in a mighty way, delivered the children of Israel from their bondage using ten plagues, which was unlike anything that's ever been seen before. The Lord hears the cries of the righteous and delivers them out of their troubles. The third promise we see is that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Think back to a time in your life when you had a broken heart. Maybe it was caused by the death of a family member or a friend. Maybe your heart was broken by a boyfriend or girlfriend who broke up with you. Maybe you were terminated from a job and you felt utterly helpless. Maybe you received news that you have cancer. And when you had that broken heart, did you feel alone? Did you feel as though there was no one there to turn to? It says that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. What an encouragement that is to us. That we have the Lord near us when we feel most alone. When all the worldly relationships fail us, when all of our support systems crumble, the Lord is near to us. But maybe it's more than that. Have you ever been hurting and are you broken from the overwhelming weight of your sin that burdens you? Have you come to a point in your life where you have a brokenness about your sin? And a contrite and repentant spirit. The Lord delivers those who are broken and repentant towards their sin. And the fourth promise we see is a reiteration of the second promise. We read that many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. I think many of us have this idea that when we're saved, all will be well. There won't be any troubles, no sorrow, no afflictions for the righteous. But That's simply not what the Bible teaches. David says many, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But we take hope in the fact that the Lord delivers us out of them all. Notice it doesn't say the Lord delivers us from them all. The Lord never promised to keep us from trials and afflictions. But he tells us, that when you face afflictions and hardships in life, the Lord will deliver you out of them all. James gives us this encouragement when he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. These trials in our lives are the testing of our faith, which produces patience. The Lord himself even said in John, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. How wonderful it is for us to know that nothing we face in life, nothing we see in life, the Savior has not already seen and overcome himself. Look to him during your afflictions. He will deliver you out of them all. And this brings us to our fifth promise. It's that He guards all His bones. Not one of them is broken. Our trials may scar us. We may endure scrapes and bruises from these afflictions. But the Lord will preserve you. It's not only speaking of the physical but also spiritually in the sense that your soul, your faith, your hope, your love will not be broken. This verse was quoted concerning the Lord's death on the cross, foreshadowing that Christ's body would not have any broken bones. And in the same manner, it reveals that Christ's body, or the church, will be kept complete. And the final promise that we see for the righteous is that they will not be condemned with the wicked. We read that the evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. We see that God will not condemn the righteous with the unrighteous. We know that the unrighteous will be killed and shall be condemned to an eternity in hell. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And once in hell, the wicked cannot be delivered from the eternal punishment for the sins that they've committed. On the other hand, though, the Lord redeems the soul of his servant. Ephesians tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. And if you're a believer this morning... He has redeemed us with his precious blood. And we have this incredible promise that none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Romans so eloquently says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. And the remainder of the passage goes on even further to say that there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as believers, this brings us so much hope to know that we will not be condemned. No one can bring a charge against God's elect, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. We have so much to praise the Lord for and so many promises to cling to in this life. We know that we'll face many trials, many difficulties in life, but the Lord will be our deliverer. He will be our help. Just as he's been faithful in the past to deliver us, he will also again be the f- faithful in the future. Cling to these promises. And if you haven't yet trusted in the Lord for your salvation... After hearing about the goodness and the praise that he deserves, I simply ask that you taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, I can tell you a lot about that chocolate cake, and I can tell you about how great it is, but you'll never truly know that that cake is good until you've tasted and seen. And you can know a lot about the Lord, and you may have come to church for years, and you've heard all about the Lord. But you'll never truly know that the Lord is good until you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And we taste and see that the Lord is good by placing our faith in Him, believing that we're sinners, unable to save ourselves in any way, shape, or form, believing that we need a Savior, believing that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God who became a man, To die on this earth for the penalty of your sin, for my sin, and for the sins of this entire world. That he was buried, and on the third day he rose again, conquering death and defeating sin. Repent from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior, may today be that day. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we just... Thank you for the wonderful promises we see in this, in this chapter. Just thank you, Lord, for your deliverance in the past as we think back on times when we should have died. Lord, we just want to praise you with our lips. And Lord, we look to David's word of encouragement on how to praise you with our lives. I pray that this year we would live that out. I just pray that we remember the promises when we face trials, when we face difficulties just pray that we'd remember the promises that we have to those who live righteously. And Lord, I pray if anyone's here who has not yet tasted and seen that the Lord is good, I pray that today they would come to that decision where they put put their faith in you and taste and see that you are good. And we pray all these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.